I want to talk to you about Jacob wrestling with God. It's an image of the Christian journey, actually, and the contending with God and men that it strengthens people, makes them a different person, enables them to become strong for the next level, the next season of their life. This is the night when everything changes. Genesis 32, verses 22 to 31. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. Verse 24, so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. I don't stand with the commentators who say this was an angel. It's self-evident in the text that this is God. I believe this is probably the pre-incarnate son. This is almighty God wrestling with a man and then changing his life forever. It was the night when everything changes. In times of crisis in human history, God has a habit of raising up his servants who will challenge the present darkness and limping out of their own failures And breaking experiences will find grace to emerge from the shadowlands, bringing the sunshine in their wake, albeit with a changed way to live and walk themselves. Winston Churchill was such a man. In the movie, Darkest Hour, we see the juncture in World War II where the Allied nations were floundering. And at that time, they needed a leader to replace a struggling Neville Chamberlain. That lot fell to Churchill. But he was a man whom the people largely rejected. The king rejected Churchill at the time. Parliament rejected Churchill at the time. They didn't like him. His disastrous campaigns in Gallipoli made him rejectable by many who thought him not up to the task. He had to overcome the rejection of people, his disastrous record in the Great War, and prove himself in the crucible of the darkest hour of our nation's history. Nevertheless, although the people were convinced at the start, we find the MPs waving their order papers at the end of the movie in Parliament in response to his great great speech, we shall fight them on the beaches should Germany invade, invade, of course. History tells us that Churchill was a roaring success owing to his perseverance, his intellectual wit, and tenacity. In 2002, he was voted, voted the greatest Briton of all time. 
The theme of Darkest Hour is that great leaders emerge after seasons of great personal failure. He was a failure initially. And God's choices are not always the leader choices of men. I think also of the likes of Abraham Lincoln. Have you heard the story of him? No time to go into Lincoln's history, but most of his life was failure. It made him a great man. Failure is not fatal, by the way. It's a John Maxwell comment. Failure is not fatal. What is, what is fatal to a person is given up. Failure is something that we should fall forwards from. Again, another John Maxwell comment. We should never fall on our face and give up. We should fall forwards and believe for better. Choose to learn from our failures and our experiences as people. This is certainly true of Jacob. He was the deceiver who became prince with God. Imagine that for a name shift. Tricky Dicky, Arthur Daly, deceiver, liar, usurper, whatever you want to call Jacob. And he became prince with God. He rules with God. What a promotion. This was the night when everything changes. Jacob would not be the first pick for most of us to serve as a great patriarch in the Bible story in the same way as many of us would have not have chosen Runty David or Cowardly Gideon or Stuttering Moses. But God knows what he's doing when he raises up people for his purposes. Such was Jacob's victory in the night we just read about that the Lord changed his name and destiny. And he emerged from the darkest of nights with the blessing of God on his life and a story to tell. It was certainly the night where everything changed for Jacob. You too might be going through a dark night right now. I know of some people's dark night in this congregation. And my prayer and desire is that this message encourages you to be brave, which is what the Lord told me to tell you. I have words from the Lord for you, for people who should be brave. And continue your journey with God. Don't give up, because breakthrough is certainly coming. Let's go through the text stepwise now. The beginning of verse 22, it says, that night. Now, the first two words. Now, there are memorable nights on your life journey. There are memorable days, there are memorable moments, is what I mean by this portion of the preach. When people recount stories, they often say, do you remember that night? And everyone goes, oh, yeah, I remember that night, wasn't it? And, well, that was a night. I remember that night. See, the things that we remember are usually good or bad. They're usually bitter or sweet. The thing is, with Jacob, this was both bitter and sweet. This is his greatest victory and his greatest challenge. He's wrestling with God. But he's also somebody who God allows to overcome. God, in his mercy, allows Jacob to pull him in close and hold on to him. That was God allowing that because he always wanted Jacob to press in for the more. And he wants you to press in and press on for the more. So it's usually the difficult and the delightful that we remember. These are the easiest memories to hold. They're indelibly etched on our brains, literally. I remember a night, I'm sure Rachel would want me to tell this story, but I remember a night when, listen, there's guys in this room, they are, they're anointed. They're like Bezalel with arts and crafts. 
with DIY. You, you, you're, the, you're probably the sort of guy that has a belt and it fits you just right. And you've got every little weapon. You've even got stuff that attaches to your head and lights and pull out the hammer, pull out the chisel. You know what you're doing. You're the anointed ones. Listen, I'm so anointed with this. I feel manly when I've bled a radiator. There was a night where I decided, get this, check me out, John, <laughs> to plane a door. No. John, I planed it. I did a few, okay. There was like a little <laughs> at the bottom on one of them. It was not quite that bad. It wasn't quite a mouse hole. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is where I share my heart. This is actually more, more about me than you. It's cathartic. I'm just getting it off the chest. There's enough oh. distance gone between me and the event. So I'm there playing in the door. Rachel's helping me, but we got it on Black & Decker. Workbench that was awful. In the lounge, would you believe it? We, we had a hoover ready to get all the chippings. I had an electric plane. It was working wonderfully. Terrible. You'd have been like that. Oh, Steve, give it here. Well, there is a, so, you know, that time in your early marriage where you've got all the gear and no idea. So I had an electric plane. Rachel, she's more sanctified now. Yeah. But she was watching at that, she doesn't do it anymore. She was watching soap operas. <laughs> Holding the door for me because the, the, the bench wasn't that good, John. She's so into the soap operas that she kind of loses concentration. <laughs> and it, do you know when everything slows down? You maybe have you maybe never had one of these events when everything slows down. <laughs> the, the door slid. It just slid, but it felt like an arrow. <laughs> The corner of the door, John, oh. on Rachel's toe. Oh, no. This is how I know my wife really loves me. Oh. It oh. Smashed the toe. Are you coping with this? Go with it. It's working. So anyway, Rachel's got a smashed toe. And some injuries you can cope with, you know, on the rugby field or whatever, you, you can't see anything. We don't know what's broken on the inside until the x-ray. We knew something was broken. <laughs> she had a squashed toe. Oh, no. It had smashed a toe. And I was, have you ever seen somebody <laughs> in utter panic <laughs> up and down the lounge? <laughs> what do I do? I've just phoned my mum. Mother, she's a nurse, fix all. She, she comes. My mum, who doesn't flinch, she went, bandaged her up, took her to A&E. It was that night. We go into A&E, and the man, a and is a nightmare at the moment, isn't it? So it was, this was the days you could get seen, Miriam. So it, it puts the, the injection through, but it goes through the skin in between her toes so that the tip of the injection goes out, and I see him squirt the an anaesthetic onto the floor. Like this, I'm thinking, this is a nightmare. What a night. It was that night, John. This is why I remember it. And then I hear the dude who's the doctor in charge on the A&E going, hello, yeah. It, it, it's terminal. Like, he's going to chop my wife's toe off. I've killed it. It's terminal. He meant the end of the toe, like terminus. It's the end of the toe. Yeah, it's terminal. So it's, it was that night. Anyway, they sorted Rachel's toe out, long story short. 
And we went on. At that time, I had a problem with my gallbladder. I thought it was back injury. It was a gallbladder. I had a gallbladder out later on. I was suffering with what I thought was back injury. So we called in at Asda about 11.30 at night. You know, one of these 24 Asdas at Wigan. And Rachel comes out. She said, oh, I could get you. Is this it was a fizzy, like, monster aspirin. Like a, like a digestive biscuit that you could use as a Frisbee. And that's how I said, I can, I can swallow any, any, tab, any tablet, mate. Without any liquid. It got stuck in my throat. <laughs> it was that night. I remember it. I said, quick, give us a drink, mother, I'm choking. This was 20 odd years ago. Early marriage. Oh. <laughs> Do you remember some mothers do have them? Thanks. Yes. It's stuck in my throat. She gives me tango. Tango. The next bit, for people like John Miller who are chemists, or for people who have a brain, would, would know that I'm about to do a Mount Vesuvius on the car park of Asta. So I'm lent out of the car because I didn't want to spew on my dashboard, I'm lent outside of my car, foaming at the mouth like a man with rabies, knelt down in a prayer posture by the side of the driver's door. Well, <laughs> most people that arrived there were either dubious in character or like us in an emergency. And in a bit of a rush and didn't want to be hanging around that car park later. And I saw people on the corner of my they were walking past about this, going, drunk drivers. <laughs> I'd been drinking and was vomiting at the side of the car. It was that night. I'll never forget it. Jacob was in that night. It wasn't quite as comedic, but it was a night he would never forget. It says in the Bible, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Jacob was left in a place on life's journey where all that he owned, all the material possessions that he had, couldn't help him a jot. All the people, the connections, the contacts, they were no use to him. I wonder if you've ever been in a trial so deep that everything you had materially and everyone you know relationally couldn't help you a jot on that night. <laughs> this is the type of trial Jacob's going through. He's separated. He's left alone. And he has nothing to help him in this trial. All of his power and his possessions were rendered useless on this night. Jacob was alone. You see, this, this phrase, Jacob was left alone, stands out and frames the narrative in Jacob's greatest victory and greatest challenge. Jacob had to go it alone. Jacob was under the microscope. This isolation has the hallmark of God's timing and testing. You see, I agree with Rick Warren. He says, life is a test and a trust. And it will come in waves on you like that as you're passing through as a Christian pilgrim. But everything's father filtered and the Lord allows stuff. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God anymore. In his sovereignty, he has to allow stuff. 
Otherwise, he wouldn't be God anymore. This was a God set up for Jacob. This was the microscope moment. And it's only when we're on our own that we can face up to ourselves. This is the purpose in this. And to God, who's trying to shape us into the next thing that he has for us. You see, church, we we busy ourselves, don't we? Around the room, I could spot the busy people. (laughs) That's all of you. Busy people who give in your faithful Christianity, room for your devotional time with the Lord. But yet, even in that faithfulness of serving in a church, of giving God some devotional time, of living a clean life, of serving well in the workplace, serving well in the family, it doesn't really cut through what Richard Foster, that writer on Christian spirituality, says. It doesn't cut through the surface flush of, surface slush of contemporary Christian experience. The, 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 the devotional life that we have cannot help us in this night experience. The normal devotional patterns, the normal ways that held you strong in Christian journey and experience cannot help you in the dark night of the soul. St. John of the Cross talked about the dark night of the soul. And this is what this pictures in Jacob's experience, the sense of being alone, the sense of being helpless, the sense of not even hearing the voice of God or seeing his activity in our life. You know, Scripture's got pictures of the hiding of the face of God. Why are you so far from my groaning, the psalmist said. Where are you, Lord, in this? I cannot see you. Maybe that's your night right now. I love the psalm by the sons of Korah, Psalm 42. And this cutting through the surface slush of contemporary Christian experience that we're going into now is God bringing a deeper work in the soul that makes you a deeper person, bigger roots for the tree, more fruit on the surface. Sons of Korah accompanied David when he was being driven out of Jerusalem by his son Absalom. These exiles from Jerusalem were grieving that they couldn't worship the way that they would have done. And they're overwhelmed by their sense of desert exile in the soul. Psalm 42 puts it like this, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. The sons of Korah identified that... It was your waterfalls, God. It was your waves and breakers, God, that rolled over me. And I know, as a writer of this psalm, the sons of Korah would have been able to say, I know deep is talking to deep. God is speaking to me in a way that I cannot learn in a textbook. There are things that there is no Christian library in the world that can answer. There are pains so deep, there are challenges so large on the human journey that there is no preacher in the world, there is no book you can buy, there is nothing but God who can come close to in those moments. But the challenge the sons of Korah were facing in this psalm is that it's just like a waterfall. It's just like the waves and breakers. What do they mean by those two images? Well, have you ever stood under a waterfall? I have. It is horrendously loud. 
thundering, and I've not stood under a big one, I've stood under a moderate size, thundering waters crashing down with heavy weight. You can hear nothing. It's the image of not being able to hear a thing. Senses are cut off. The waves and the breakers is rather like the image in Jonah 2, where Jonah's saying, I'm like in prison bars. I'm wrapped up in the belly of a whale. Where are you, God? And then you incline your ear to my prayer. We'll come into this in a minute. There's always a time duration through a trial in God's economy. But the sons of Korah knew that they couldn't hear God. They couldn't see God. They were uncomfortable. The posture was uncomfortable. This is rather like Jacob. How uncomfortable a posture is it when you've got God? Who are you wrestling with? And he's holding him. He's like, God, I, I don't like this. Have you ever prayed those honest prayers with the Lord? Have you ever prayed raw prayers? Like, I, I don't like this, God. That's when we really start praying. God's had enough of religiosity. He wants to hear real prayers from real people, and he wants to know what's on your heart because he loves you. And it's time to stop being all religious and having fancy words and say, God, I've just had enough. Will you just... And be real yeah. with God. Not inappropriate, not irreverent, but direct. And you know, the times in my life when I've been direct with God in my pain is the most I've heard his voice. I could tell you stories, but I won't. But I encourage you, like Habakkuk, to be raw with your prayers. God, aren't you a righteous God? What do you mean you're raising up the Babylonians? They're ruthless people. What are you talking about? What are you talking about, Lord? Aren't you a holy God? It's time to be direct, raw, real. And in those moments where you can't hear and see God, cry out to God from the belly of the whale, and the Lord will incline his ear to you, and there will be a time duration for your trial. You see, tests, trials have a time span. It says in the Bible, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Did you see the time span? There's always a dawn after the dark night. There's always a dawn after the dark night. I was saying in 2020, the dawn is coming. It was my COVID speak. I really believe that. I believe there was a first light of dawn experience going on this year. But it will shine brighter to the full light of day. I believe God is going to move in this nation. I'm not trying to encourage you or whoop you up. I really believe God is going to move in the United Kingdom in a powerful way. In a powerful way. Can you hear me, church? Can you hear that resonance in the spirit as I preach that? God is going to create a dawn experience for this nation. And we think it's going to the dogs, but Jesus is Lord. Are you hearing me? Yeah. All you're facing will come to pass. For anyone who follows Christ, the best is always yet to come. Isn't that true? Whoever you are, whatever you're going through. And can I just say this on the time span? God is not malevolent. God is not evil and desiring harm for people. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord saves them out of some of them. 
Come on, Brother Tunji, rebuke me in Jesus' name. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord saves them out of all of them. God is not malevolent. Trials and tests have a time span. But tests are also damaging. I think of the Help for Heroes campaign and the Invictus games where we see these incredible people that move out of their brokenness and make the most of their life with what they have left. This is an image of what some of you have had to do or will have to do because of the breaking experiences of your life. You see, I I really believe in the supernatural. I believe in miracles and healing signs and wonders. But I want to say something very simply to you on miracles and healing. It is the not yet breaking into the now. It is heaven on earth. And I believe we should contend for more. The more I've contended for the supernatural, the more I've seen in my life. But it doesn't mean I have an answer for everyone's ills now. Because I've seen incredible miracles, but I've also seen people not get healed. And that was the choice of God, which I do not understand in this life. There are unanswered questions in this life. This is the shadow lands, to quote C.S. Lewis, or to think of C.S. Lewis in that movie. These are, the, these are the times where the light of the not yet is breaking into the now. But thank God we have hope in Jesus. Did you notice that Jacob wrestling with God asked God his name and he says, why do you ask me my name? Did you notice that God never answered his question? And isn't that the experience of the Christian who has a breaking experience? That in that moment with God, there is no answer sometimes. And that takes greater faith, greater faith to keep going, to be brave, to keep moving on with God. Because some people have breaking experiences and they don't fall forward. They fall on their face and they stay there. William Gurnall in the book, The Normal Armour of the Christian Soldier, it's a great thick book from about 100 years ago, said that the Christian must be able to, and I paraphrase my words, step over the body of fallen brothers and sisters in the battlefield and move on with Christ. My paraphrase. Because some Christians just do not recover from their trial. The resolve To recover is a resolve to follow with unanswered questions. And we we grasp for things that are as elusive as the wind in this life, whether it's material possessions, the next this, the next that, trying to bring comfort to our soul. I was talking to the Lord about that in one area of my life, saying, Lord, is it okay for this? And how do you feel about that? And he said to me, Steve, I'm your escape. I was wanting comfort in an area of my life. I was talking about comfort and the journey, the uncomfortableness of the journey. And he's really saying, find your rest in me. Find your strength in me. Find your hope in me. Jesus plus nothing is everything. The problem is we know that, but we don't practice it. 
We have to practice it until the substance of Jesus really is enough. There are odd times in my Christian journey, odd, odd times, I can think about it, pockets of days, like two, and some, it goes like this, doesn't it? Let's be honest. Pockets of days where I'll have two or three days of heaven on earth. And I know I'm privileged to have the time to pray to God and to make that, seek the, so I know it's even harder for you guys. But I'll just, sometimes I'll just be like walking the dog and it'll be like, God will be there like cloaking the atmosphere. And I'll have conversations with him. Literal conversations with God. And then other days, I can't hear him. I don't, where are you, Lord? Have I lost the anointing? And it's like that Martin Smith song from Delirious, Live and in the Can album. It literally was in a can. The word, the song Obsession. What can I do with my obsession is the song, with the things I cannot see. Is it madness in my being? Is it wind that blows a tree? And he says, sometimes you're further than the moon. Sometimes you're closer than my skin. Ain't that the Christian journey? Let's be honest. But we want the closer than my skin thing often. So we must pursue it. We must pursue the presence of the Lord if we're going to experience the Lord. I don't think the Lord ever wants us to settle because we're pilgrims. That's why the same way doesn't always work. God wants us to be creative, not religious. He wants us to be relational, not ritualistic. God is calling people closer through the dark night of the soul. Tests are damaging. He touched Jacob's hip. And he was never the same again. I think from the age of 18, and I don't want to in any way, Create a parallel between these heroes. who would, I'm not even fit to be in the same room as them when I talk like this. But my little experience was that at 18, I dislocated the shoulder. did it about 13 times. I couldn't do anything. For, I lost my ability to throw a ball from 18. I couldn't because I'd be protecting this shoulder all the time. I should have had surgery. I should have had better physio. But I lost... Confident. I was always a confident man on the rugby field. I lost confidence physically. It changed me. I was a bit of a scrapper in my teens. I'd have fought with anyone. On the rugby, John Smith knows this. He's watched me on a rugby pitch. Bigger lads than me. Twice the size. I get more hurt, but I lost it in one go. The Lord was shaping me for his purposes through the pain. I would change the bed sheet. And my arm would come out. It's not, not very useful, is it? Then this dislocated this one. I broke my nose, broke my finger, dislocated my thumb, broke my foot, broke my... I've, there's been injuries. But every injury leaves you with a changed way to live. Nothing like these guys. That's why I'm almost tentative to say it. But when you go through fire, this is the image I'm trying to bring. You have to adapt to the experience. You have to... You have to you have to change because the trial caused a scar. And in this life, some scars are not fixed. Is this okay to preach this? It's not all glory and angels, is it? But nonetheless, it's truth. Soldier came to me once for prayer. Came round to where I was staying. Just come literally a few days before from a tour of Afghanistan. And he was so traumatized by the experience of 
conflict. He'd seen people maimed and killed in front of his eyes, literally. That he was sleeping under the bed because he was afraid. He had a middle-class parents, wealthy, senior policeman, parents, parent, in his 20s, hiding under the bed, terrified of sleeping on top. He'd seen stuff. Came round to my dwelling to pray for him because he was so messed up. Prayed for him. He was emotionally wet. He says, the padre said, and he named squaddies that he died with, the pad, pad, Padre said, he'd be in heaven, what do you think, Steve? And I'm like, I don't even know the guy. How do I answer that? I don't want to be unfaithful to what I know to be true. And anyone say, oh, yeah, did he know Jesus? Well, he's in hell if he didn't. You know, that sort of stupid comment. I said, I, instead I answered it, all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Didn't answer him, really. Prayed for him. He was going out that night. I thought, what does love say? You might be offended at this, but at the time, it was the right thing to do. Going out. said, here's a tenner. I was a student at Bible college at the time. Get yourself a drink, lad, on me. (laughs) He came back that evening bouncing off the walls. He'd spent more than a tenner. (laughs) And he said, I didn't know you were just a student. Here's here's 40 quid. He gave me 30. He'd had a few too many scoops. (laughs) Get yourself a meal. (laughs) He was like this. What's my point in saying this? You might be offended by me. I was trying to love the guy. I, I was, some, some injuries. I mean, he wasn't saved, this kid. Some injuries, you just don't know how to look after them and love them. And so I just loved him in the only way I knew that I could. He was going out anyway. I wanted to demonstrate the love of God to him. But some injuries, the, the PTSD and so forth, they're with people psychologically, sometimes for life. There's a terrible film that's probably X-rayed called American Sniper, which is a true story of a guy who took his own life after the horrors of conflict at the end of his journey. He's a remarkable sniper. And this is the trauma that's on many of our military personnel when they come back from service. They wrestle with man and God on the back of it. Did you see that in the text? It says, the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. But Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. You see, this is where the major wrestling of our life will be. It's never really circumstanced that much. It's people, God, and ourselves. How are we going to cope with this personally? How are we going to cope with him or her personally? How am I going to relate to God personally? Jacob was promoted because he was able to wrestle with God and man, and yet he overcome. He fell forwards. He didn't fall on his face and give up. I think just to bring that idea to a close in that point, it's the cross of Christ that enables us to cope with the journey of trauma. I think Jesus who said, follow me, He didn't just say, follow me, did he? What did he say? Amen. He said, take up your cross and follow me. I once preached a message. I went to David Arms. It was about 20 odd years ago and asked him for the theological substance of this. I said, David, I want to preach a message called God's trying to kill you. 
great title. Is it theologically? So you say, no, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But this is the Jesus who said, take up your cross. This is the Jesus who called everyone to believe and be baptized into death. So they might come again into newness of life. The problem is we don't walk in newness of life because we're self-interested. The gospel is a rescue from selfishness, but we often take our life back. You've heard that many times from others. And whenever I go through stuff, it's because I'm self-interested and God wants to chip off another bit of me that surrenders again and puts me in a posture of, oh, my, oh yeah, you're God, I'm not. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? And so adapting to the journey, the only way to cope with traumatic experiences, whatever they are, and this is not belittling what people are going through in this room, the only way is the way of the cross. And maybe that was why God allowed it in the first place. Because everything, believe it or not, is Father filtered. Test changes completely. You'll no longer be Jacob, but Israel. As I've said, the deepest pits that we experience changes the most. No textbook can do this. Tests leave us with unanswered questions. Life is a trust and a test. Tests are a place of God encounter. I think this is worth noting. Unlike the sons of Korah, sometimes the Lord is present in the pain. Sometimes you experience him. The Bible says the Lord is near to those who are broken and contrite in spirit. These are the places where, like Jacob, you'll say, this is Peniel. This thing I'm going through as a Christian now, this is Peniel. I've literally seen the face of God and yet my life was spared. Some people, when they go through traumatic experiences, literally see Jesus, who comes to comfort them, to show them he, he's with them in the suffering, like the man who walked with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery flames, one like the son of the gods. Jesus is loving in his nature and will carry his people through. He's a good shepherd. Tests are a place of God encounter. Tests force us to live differently afterwards. Jacob walked with a limp. Sometimes you're just going to have to adapt to what you've been through and choose to not give up, to move on, to go on and believe God is good. He doesn't change, but I'm going to have to adapt to the way I live in order to follow him Things that you can no longer do anymore. These are times of reducing and redirection. Where God takes the self-interest, baptizes it again into death, and brings us out again to walk in a newness of life. I believe Christians have one public baptism, or should do, but I believe that Christians have many baptism-type moments where God allows them to go into a death experience a dark experience, a Shadowlands experience, so that they might come alive again into a better state, a more useful state, a state that postures itself in submission and surrender to the Most High God. Amen. I know that's not going to be the type of message that you hear many places, but I believe it to be biblically sound that God carries us 
through the shadowlands, into the sunlight. Did you see the way the text finished? When Jacob left Peniel, it said the sun was rising and the dawn is coming. Whatever you're going through, and I do not want to impugn the challenge of it, the dawn is coming.